And we are in Joshua chapter 2 this morning. I look to my left and I realize I better not mess up this morning. I don't know if I've ever spoke with a crocodile before, but we'll, we'll try to get through it as best we can. Joshua chapter 2, and you remember that at the end of Deuteronomy, you have a very healthy Moses that who, had, who had gone up to Mount Nebo and died. I, I, I would love to have been there. And, and some would actually bemoan such a situation. I would welcome it. Bring me to Nebo, baby. Take me to Nebo. It says that he was in his perfect strength. He, his eyes were not dimmed. He, none of his strength was diminished. And he was taken up and God just basically allowed him to die and then took him up to heaven. What a way to go. It's a tremendous thing. And then in chapter number 1, it says, Now after the death of Moses. All things had remained the same pretty much between 38 and 40 years. For the last 40 years, all things had pretty much remained the same. God was feeding them in the wilderness. There was manna. There was water. There were the basic necessities of life that were being supplied by God. And let me tell you, the nations that surrounded, especially in Canaan, the promised land, they knew exactly what was going on. There, there, there's evidence in the Word of God to, to know that they, they might, might as well have it CNN because they knew exactly what was going on. And it was no small miracle that you would take two million people and you would sustain them on sand. And that's basically what was going on. And as the nations of Canaan would see this, they would see these this two million people sitting in the desert with nothing. And yet they had everything. Because they had their Father in heaven. And even the pagans recognized the hand of the Almighty God as He sustained this nation in the desert lands. Now after the death of Moses and all things would change. I'm giving you the land filled with milk and honey. Therefore, you'll not need manna anymore. There'll be plenty and enough to spare. And so all things would change. Let's begin at verse number 1 of Joshua chapter number 2. We considered Joshua chapter number 1 last week. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the, uh, uh, this night of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that they come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they become, have come to search out the country. And we, so we have this introduction. We'll take this a little piece at a time. And you have this, uh, what would seem to be uh, this same thing that was played out some 38 to 40 years before in Kadesh Barnea when the... the when they sent out 12 spies. And you say, well, why would they do that again? 
why would they send out these two spies? Well, these two spies, I am absolutely are convinced that they were men of God and trusted absolutely in the God of Israel. There was no doubt in their mind as they went out and they spied out the territory. There was no doubt in their mind the final conclusion. And the final conclusion was that God was going to uphold the promise that He had made some many years before and He was going to give them the land. The key to the whole thing was the death of Moses. Chapter uh, 2 and verse 14, it says this, When the Lord hath given us the land. You notice those words? Those are the words of the two spies, you see. So there was no lack of confidence as to what was going to transpire here. God was going to give the land. There was no lack of confidence in the part of Rahab as well. She knew that God was going to give the land. And so they were sent out. It says secretly. I wonder. Secretly from the nation of Israel? Or secretly from the people of Jericho? I'm not sure. But it says that they were sent out secretly. It seems that it would be a foregone conclusion that it would be secretly from the people of Jericho. Therefore, that would leave us with the conclusion that he was trying to keep it secret from the nation of Israel. Why? Because there was still an absence of faith in the land. And there was still disobedience. We'll find that out. Read the last chapter of the book of Joshua. It says they went after foreign gods. You say, how on earth can they do that? How can they keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over again? And yet I ask myself that very same question. How can I keep making the same mistake over and over and over again? And so secretly they were sent. Go and view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house. Now, I don't think Joshua told them to go into a harlot's house. I mean, guys... You'd question, what is going on? Why have you gone into a a harlot's house of all things? The objective of this was, from naturally speaking, was to to search out the, the military, to find out where the general was, to find out where all the armament was, to find out how thick the walls were, how much distance there was between the two walls, because there were two walls that actually stood there. You, you want to find out where we can get into the city to make an advance on Jericho. Instead, they went to a harlot's house. This blows my mind. Because of the response of the two spies. This would have been my response. Rahab, I, I, I know, I know you've got a, a story to tell. And, and, and I'd love to be able to sit and listen to the story. But I just simply do not have time. I have a task at hand here. And my task is to search out the weak parts of Jericho. So that I can go back to Joshua and I can give him a report. Joshua, this is where we go. 
This is how we get in. Friends, there's nothing like that in the Scripture. That's another reason why, number two, that I believe these men were great men of faith. They sat down and listened to the story of a harlot. It seems a most odd military strategy indeed. Why would someone strategize in conquering Jericho and send him in to sit down and listen to the story of a harlot? Oh, wait a second now. Well, we have to pull God into the, to the whole thing here, don't we? I mean, we, we listen to this, this whole thing from a natural standpoint and we think these men are absolutely out of their gourds. There wasn't a word of rebellion. What are we doing in her house? Wasting time? Not a word. Verse number 2 says, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. Now, 40 years before, in Kadesh Barnea, they sent out 12 spies, and not a word of their being sought out after by the king. In other words, they went in secretly and they came out secretly and ten of them had terrible reports while Joshua and Caleb came in and said, let's go, let's go, let's get it on. What faith. But now the king knows almost instantaneously. The wording indicates that they were not there very long at all. They were there a very short time, and the king already knew exactly the fact that two spies had come in. Now, I want you to understand the whole scenario here, because sometimes we get this idea that that Jericho uh, somehow was completely ignorant of the fact that there was two million people out across on the east side of the Jordan River, and they were there uh, not because they had good intentions for Jericho, but that they wanted to destroy Jericho. And every night they would get up on their wall, some 30 feet high these two walls were. They were actually about 15, 10 to 15 feet thick. And there was about 15 feet between the two walls. So it was a double wall is what it was. And then what they would do was they would build their houses. That's a great foundation. They took and they put uh, 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 beams across the 15-foot span, and then they would build their houses right on top of the wall. Perfect foundation for a home. And so there, there was uh, this nation, this city, Jericho, and the people would stand on top of the rooftops, and they would look out over the Jordan River, and they would see the smoke rising of two million people. And they already knew that they weren't there for the good of Jericho. They already knew that military conquest that had already taken place by these two million people. They could not be stopped. And the people of Jericho knew they couldn't be stopped. We're going to find that out. So that's the whole scene. It wasn't as though uh, uh, it came as a surprise that these spies were there. In fact, the king was very much looking for these spies. He was waiting for 
these spies. He was waiting for this day when they would come in. And so he had every human being in Jericho on absolute alert, knowing that if any stranger comes in, you tell me, you come. And they told him. They went in to a woman named Rahab, a harlot. Now, of course, there are many things that are said about that. Many people would say, well, they go into a harlot's house because then that would, that would not lead to any suspicion. Because, I mean, that's what men did, right? They went into a harlot's house, whatever. It would also, uh, uh, secondarily, it would be like an inn where they would stay for the night and, and such and so forth. But i got another story to tell you here because I, I truly believe, after studying this in detail, that this woman was not a harlot. Anymore. She was a trophy of grace. She was a trophy of grace. So, verse 3 And the king of Jericho sent out Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that they come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they come to search out all the country, and thee, woman. The woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. Verse number 5, And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gates, when it was dark, that the men went out, whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up, to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax. Now listen to these words. Which she had laid in order upon the roof. Harlots don't work in linen. Harlots do not work with linen. They would buy linen that was already uh, uh, labored over, arduously labored over, because this was a it was a, it was a it was a tremendously high amount of labor to produce linen from flax. They would take these these flax and they would have to grow them, and then they would bring them up on the roof, and they would have to take buckets of water and they poured them out onto these flax in order that the sun might do its duty in causing the flax to dry and split apart. And then they would pull the strands out, and that's what they made fine linens from. But there's more to it than that, you see. It said that, 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 that she was to put a scarlet cord out her window to indicate that she and her family were in that particular home and that home was to be spared. That scarlet cord tells us that she also made dyes. And the way they would do it is this. They would take a a large boiling pot and they would boil these dyes. And as the water boiled out of these dyes, they would put a rope And they would rope the rope around, around in the bottom of the pot in order that when that dye gets thicker and thicker and thicker and less and less water, it would enter into the rope. Scarlet cord. And then they could take about six inches of this rope and they can whack it off and then they can put it in with whatever they want to be dyed at whatever color the rope is. And then that particular part would be 
died. So this woman had those cords. That was the only way you could transport dye. You couldn't do it any other way. So they devised this ingenious way of, of, of keeping it inside of a rope. And she did that too. Hard to believe that she had time for the job of a harlot. I don't believe she was a harlot. I believe this, this, this whole chapter 2, it's, it's God the Father. and The only way I can do it is just explain that, that I believe that God the Father said to these two spies, I want you to go. Because I, I, have, I have to show you something. Oh, I, I'm not going to show you how I'm going to bring down those walls. I, I, I'm not interested in, in how we're going to defeat the armies of Jericho or the, the, the campaigns that they went to the north, campaigns to the south, campaigns to the central. That's what the book of Joshua is all about, right? The campaigns of a great general Joshua in taking what was theirs given by God. But God wasn't going to show that right now. He wasn't showing his, his great arm of strength in, 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 in battle. He said, come here and look. I want to show you a worthless loser to the world. Someone who has no value in the world. A throw-off. A no-good-for-nothing and she has now become my trophy of grace. I want to show you my love, you see. But this will prepare me for battle? It's quite evident by the actions of these two spies, at least, that they understood what God was doing. God was amplifying His grace and the way that he would move this nation into the promised land, the land that had been promised by God the Father many, many years before. And he was preparing them by showing his love for this woman named Rahab. Verse number 8. And before they were laid down, she came up under the roof. She came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know, listen to this, listen to these words. I know, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. That word faint can be translated melt as it's translated later on. I know, you see. Now let me tell you what. I know most of you know this story already, so I'm kind of mm, using that presumption. But when she threw that cord out that window to let those men down, by the way, that had to be about 30 feet or more. That's a long cord. And when that cord hung out that window, 
it had to be about 30 feet or more. And so she was a hard, hard working woman. And it wasn't in the job of a harlot. But she said, their hearts are melt. Their hearts are melted. So if, if there's any encouragement that came out of this whole thing, the encouragement was basically that, that Jericho had already lost the battle. It was a foregone conclusion. There was no way that Israel could lose. Because these people had heard what, what, what God, the Father in heaven, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had done for these people. And how He had guided them. And miraculously moved them along through a desert and sustained them in a desert all this time. And fear, absolute fear, Grip their heart. Verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Now it doesn't say, We have heard how you put on your rubber galoshes and went through a muddy, low water condition. It doesn't say that, does it? So in other words, the testimony that the Word of God gives probably... uh, 40 plus years after the fact. The testimony of absolute pagans was exactly what had transpired. Now let me tell you, if if Jericho would have heard the fact that the waters were really low and they just sloshed through the mud and made it through and it was no real miracle, they would have latched on to that absolutely without a question. What did she say? We know how you dried up the Red Sea, and the nation of Israel passed onto the other side. And then it goes on. And what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Sion and Og. And that was only about a year later. So so the, the passing through the Red Sea was at least 40 years earlier. And then Sion and Og, that, that was just a year earlier. So it's almost like they had a newspaper or CNN that was pumping the information, keeping track of this. Let me tell you, every nation that surrounded them, every nation that they came anywhere close to, got honed in on what God was doing in a miraculous way in delivering that nation. And fear gripped their hearts. And... and, and, Way back in Kadesh Barnea, if the right report would have came in, they would have gone into the land of Canaan at that particular time. But it was their own disobedience. Their own lack of understanding. Their own rebellion against the commands of God that that kept them out of that promised land and ultimately caused them 38 to 40 years of wandering through a desert. Turn over to Exodus chapter 15 real quick. And you're going to see the Song of Moses. And here's what it says. Verse number 15. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab tremble and shall take hold upon them all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt 
away. That's the same word melt as in Joshua chapter 2. In other words, what God was trying to do was He was trying to be an absolute witness to the nations around them as to His power and the influence that He had on that particular nation. Verse number 11 of Joshua chapter 2 then, and it says this, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. That's the same word as back in Exodus chapter 15. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Let me tell you what, that's a testimony right there, isn't it? That's a testimony of a harlot, isn't it? That's a testimony of a harlot whose heart was changed miraculously by the God of heaven. What a tremendous act of love God had when He reached down and He touched the life of this woman, Rahab. Let me tell you, she, she displayed tremendous faith, unbelievable faith. And that there wasn't a doubt as to the outcome of this supposed battle. Joshua fought the, the battle of Jericho. I, that's terrible. That's a terrible song. I don't like that song. God fought the battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down. What did Joshua do? He only did what God told him to do. He hardly lifted his sword. The Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my Father's house and give me a true token, and that you shall save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be when, not if. You notice that? It doesn't say if. You'd think it would say if. The battle hadn't even taken place yet. It says, when the Lord hath given us the land. That is absolute assurance and confidence. The same confidence that Rahab had, these two spies had as well. That we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And so, then the spies, they're let, let down through the window. And they hide in the woods for a few days. And they're deceived uh, as far as their, their whereabouts are concerned, and then they go back to Joshua and they give him the report. Now, if, if I were Joshua, I would be pulling my hair right out of my head if that's the report I got. The only thing that would be of an encouragement is the fact that their hearts melted within them. In other words, they had lost all strength. They, any will to do battle with this nation was absolutely depleted by the reports that they had gotten from the countries that they had dealt with around them. There was nothing left in them. But the report is given. Joshua is told... And the battle shall take place. And we know that they'll march around the city. 
And then the last, they're going to blow the trumps. And the walls of that city are going to come tumbling down. Friends, I'll tell you what. I'm waiting for the trump. And the walls of this city that we live in are going to come a tumbling down. We are only waiting to be taken out. This system is broken. It was a great experiment. Capitalism, democracy. And I don't mean to get political, but it's broken. And God would have to apologize to every nation that surrounds the United States if He did not bring the walls down. But keep your ear peeled. Peeled to the skies above us. And soon we will hear a trump. And all the little problems in life that we so amplified in our minds, oh, how this could be and that could be and this could be, and and all those little problems are going to be blown away by the trumpet sound. And we're going to be with the Lord. We heard it read this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, didn't we? Are you waiting for the trumpet sound? And what about this woman, Rahab? Was she a failure? Or was she beautiful in the eyes of the Almighty? For Rahab had a son named Boaz. And Boaz took a wife named Ruth. Because Boaz didn't have all that prejudice that was built up in most people in that day. Because he had a mother who was a Gentile harlot. You see. You go to Matthew chapter 1. Let's just look at this really quickly. Because it is remarkable. The trophies of God's grace. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 5. And Solomon begat Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David, the king. And David begat Solomon with his wife Uriah. And so there are four women mentioned in this, this royal genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, and from this woman, Rahab, ultimately would come the royal line of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Tamar and Rahab, they're two harlots. Bathsheba, she was an adulteress. 
And there were two Gentile women, Ruth and Rahab. And from this, we get the Savior of the whole world. You say, what wreckage! What unbelievable wreckage! Man, look at our own lives. And we can say the same thing. What wreckage! And God's gracious hand reaches down and grabs all the pieces of that that broken ship and He begins to put the ship back together and then He places it in the water and it floats again. Praise God, it floats again. In Joshua chapter 2, God wanted to show us, look at my trophy of grace. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are little trophies of grace. And that was given to prepare a nation for battle. You know, it's amazing that as the campaigns went to the north and the campaigns went to the south, you know that all of Canaan had to be, all the ites had to be taken care of. And and so there were all these campaigns that took place. And most of those were just conventional warfare. God had showed himself strong at the very outset with the collapsing of the walls of Jericho. And we're going to get into that as we go through it. And he prepared him with his love. It's an amazing, amazing portion of Scripture. And I would encourage everyone in here to to read ahead. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because a lot of these things you're hearing, and, and you could tell that I just threw some pieces at you, kind of thinking that you probably knew a lot about the story. But if you read ahead and you get an idea of what's going on, man alive, that thing just pops in front of you. I scared Vicky. <laughs> Sorry, Vicky. I apologize. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> but if you read ahead, this whole portion of Scripture begins to really come alive in front of us. And we realize why, uh, way back in Numbers, Moses said, when he got all those 12 spies, he got all those 12 spies, one from each of the tribes. And then at the very end of that whole section, you'll look at it. He said, Now come here, Joshua. And, and you see, Joshua's name, and I, I have to get it here. Joshua's name was... Anybody know? Oshia. That's right. Come here, Oshia. <clears throat> I want to change your name to Joshua. And in the Greek, it means Jesus. Oh, that's just an accident. <laughs> oh, please. Please. God has it all under control, doesn't He? And the reaction of Jericho and the reaction of all the ites of the Canaanitish land, all the reaction is absolutely in the hands of God. God is in control. He said, I'm going to change your name. You're going to be Joshua because you're the one that's going to deliver the nation of Israel into the promised land. Oh, Moses represented that old law, didn't he? He said, no, it's not the law. The law ain't going to bring you in here. It's grace. God is in control. 
and he's still in control. He's still on the throne. You better look out, friend. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, because you better listen to the to the skies even more than the people that do know the Lord Jesus Christ, because when you hear that trump, you better shiver inside. Because you're going to be left. You're going to be left. And then the walls of judgment are going to begin to fall down around us. And we're going to realize that God is in control. Bless His name. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You this morning for the Word of God which, which speaks to us. It's not just history and stories and, 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 and fun little ditties that we can learn, but it speaks to us of, of the fact that you love. You love Rahab. You love Ruth. You love Tamar. You, you loved all these, these people that, that have such uh, terrible reputations, and yet you love them. Your grace is handed over to them, and you love us. And you've displayed that grace in us. Or, Father, that we might walk in a way that, that, that we might follow after your will. And, and, and this whole process of, of, of making us trophies of grace, uh, we might come alongside and, and be a part of that and, and quit getting us so involved in this world. This world has many things to entice us, and yet they, they're so foreign to your will. Help us, Father to walk aright more by faith and less by sight. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.